Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Brandon, and with me is my co-pilot, Drew Brett. How are you doing this evening, Brandon? I am fan-flippantastic. You know why? Because Why? why? (laughs) Because Star Wars is good. Star Wars is good, everybody. That's all right. I've heard of it. Yeah, it's okay. It's passable. Uh, we do not have Lindsay here with us today. She went over to uh, Sith Talk and, and podcasted herself out over there. So make sure you go over and check those guys out. Um, she was over there for the past two episodes, which is uh, some super good wow. listens. Yeah. Um, we do, though, have a, a special guest. And this guy is a, a he's a guy I've been talking to online for a while. Um, getting to know each other, we kind of you know debated back and forth in the very clashing sabers way about Star Wars, and so I'm super <laughs> excited uh, to have him on this episode where we are going to be discussing the music of Star Wars, and particularly as we move forward to uh, Rise of Skywalker. Joining us now is Mr. Brooke Monroe. Hey, how are you guys doing? I'm very excited to be here to chat the music of John Williams with you guys. It is going to be a lot of fun, and. It's interesting because when when Drew and I were first thrown around this idea of starting a podcast, doing a music episode <laughs> was what one of the, like the first three or four things we came up with. Drew, yeah, like 117 years ago when <laughs> we first started it, I, I we pretty... were like, oh, we have to do like something about the soundtracks. Maybe like what's our favorite or best tracks, and and I think oh, we have that Google document from like what maybe about two or three years ago now. Yeah, <laughs> ten. It was yeah, exactly. It was literally before we ever recorded an episode. We were like, I think it was. Oh man! And so now- finally, we get to we get to geek out about our trouble and bass clefts here a little bit. It's going to be a lot of fun. A <laughs> hundred and something episodes into the Clashing Sabers Network. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations! I'm so glad we get to do this and move forward with some awesome um, music that uh, I, I think no one else in the world could ever write, other than the man himself. So uh, later, we'll dive in on that. Yeah, absolutely. But. Before we do that, Brooke, go ahead and uh, just kind of give our listeners a little bit of a background on uh, on yourself with Star Wars and also uh, yourself as a composer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, in terms of Star Wars, I, I'm 33 now, and I was six years old the first time I saw Return of the Jedi on television. And the only thing I remember in that first instance was um Endor and Ewoks and oh, being nice. six six years old it's like what is this this is <laughs> uh, you know mind numbing and I loved it but we didn't own it and it was on television and didn't see it again and I always wanted to know what it was called I didn't even know how to describe what I saw to my parents and then one day my mom comes over um from or not comes over but she comes back from uh either Target or Costco and she she has something for me, and she says, I, I, I know you've been looking for this, and I have no idea what she's talking about. And it's the um, remastered uh, 1995 VHS collection of the oh, original nice. trilogy. 
um, which I still stand as my favorite version of <laughs> the original trilogy. Um, and I have, I actually don't have that, the VHS anymore, but I do have them on laser disc and oh, wow. from, from time to time I will put on the laser disc and it's just astonishing to see, you know, where things have changed and what is still the same. Uh, but that, that just kicked it off. And, and, and from that moment, I absorbed literally everything that I could get my hands on, whether it was, uh, you know, dictionaries, toys, you know, we would go, my mom would take me after school almost virtually every day to Walmart to try to find those power of the force. Uh, the early ones, the ones, uh, uh, not in the green, but more of that like yellowy red. Oh yeah. I remember those. And, and, and we'd buy two of everything because, you know, we were convinced seeing the, the toys from 77 to the early 80s, those ones in package were and still are worth a lot of money. Um, you know, little did we know that they were going to be overproduced and uh, we still have them and they're not worth uh, more than the, the stamp that I would, send, you know, <laughs> send it to someone. So you still have all the ones that you got when you were a kid then? Yes. Other ones? Yeah, I have, I have everything. Um, and, you know, it stayed with me, I would say, through uh, high school, college. While, you know, the prequels were around, I was still a big fan. After the prequels came out, I didn't – I kind of had, like, lost my – Forever a little bit. Um, it wasn't just like screaming Star Wars until probably, honestly, I would say around the time. And to say I was still a really big fan and I was still amongst my friends, the right, right. number one Star Wars fan. <laughs> until I met my wife and, and I credit her for – um, my love of Star Wars, where it's at now, because she, the things that she loves, she loves so passionately, and it was so infectious. And she kind of gave me, you know, kind of validated that it's okay to love something that not everyone else loves, and be and to be proud of it. And you know, with that being said, she had never seen Star Wars, um, minus uh, Phantom Menace, and she didn't like it. So that was her perception of. Star Wars. So when I actually introduced um, all the films to her, she did fall in love with it. So going to see Force Awakens together and seeing her being a fan of that um, was was just really special. Um, and it's kind of the same with composing. I was a musician forever, um, playing in bands, and then after you know touring and making records and kind of doing the same old thing, which I loved and it was what I wanted to do. You get to that point where, you know, the guys that you're in the band with you, you know, you're all kind of reaching different parts of your lives where everyone's got to kind of go in those different directions. And I didn't know what to do. I, I said, you know, um, I, I, I'm not inspired to play music. So I actually took about a year off from playing music and I just, you know, I just read and, and kind of caught up on things I hadn't done in a while. And then just uh, getting back into, again, getting back into star Wars in the way that I had when I was young, it invigorated me in a way that said, gosh, you know, I want to make movies. And I started watching all the behind the, the scenes of literally every star Wars film. And then that it expanded upon other types of films where I just thought, you know, I want, I want to make stories. I want to be a part of this. Um, but I have no talent in really any aspect. And I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I don't know how much I really want to just sacrifice everything to learn you know, whatever it is that you have to learn to make a movie. But John Williams, from the moment I had 
watched those films uh, in 95 from beginning to end, I knew there was something special and that I connected with. And he was the one that really just kind of popped out there and not, you know, not physically telling me, but I feel like watching those films and listening to the soundtracks telling me that I, I have a story to tell and I'm not sure what that story is. And neither does he, when he writes a lot of this stuff, we don't know where we're going, but at the same time, you just kind of have to follow your passion and follow the force of 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 what's going on, and that's mm-hmm. kind of led me into uh, fandom and the aspects of I've gotten to score a, a a Star Wars fan film called Remnants of the Order, which will be coming out um, hopefully later this year. Uh, I've got another one lined up uh, to, that'll start scoring at the end of this year, and you know, working on music for Star Wars podcasts as well, and writing music for it is just Oh, that's great. Undescribable feeling of of being a part of this. And, you know, the ultimate dream, obviously, is to work on uh, official uh, Lucasfilm uh, properties. Um, (laughs) But until then, and even after then, I would love to always be a part of what makes fandom so great. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. It's like a beautiful time especially for for fans of star wars not just because of like podcasts and the way that we can all connect now but with all the new content that's coming out and the different ways in which they're telling stories i feel like there is the potential for anybody who's willing to do do the work that it takes to be able to eventually make it to that level right like talking with zarada cordova uh, a few weeks ago we got into a conversation about this like she she you know we were talking about her her background as a hispanic writer and how she's been you know the first uh female hispanic writer in in the star wars canon and it's like yes she is but she didn't get the job because of that right she got the job job because she's extremely talented and understands star wars right um and, and that's like the key and everything else just kind of falls in place after that, whether it's the diversity or, you know, anything else, the story that they're telling, like you have to have the ability to tell that story, but whether you're a a film writer, whether you're a novelist, whether you're a comic book artist, a a musician, like there's so many ways to partake in star Wars nowadays. And it's, I mean, to me, honestly, it's inspiring. Yeah. 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 Brooke, I want to ask you a question because you mentioned the, the 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 fan film that you've been working on that's that's coming out pretty soon, hopefully. Um, and I remember that Lucasfilm would do a lot of like fan film contests, and they had a lot of support that they would lend that kind of community. Do you think, or do you know if that kind of support has changed since the Disney acquisition a few years ago? Do you think that same support exists, or do you think that there's more? Uh, control over the information and and may not be as friendly as it used to be? I find it to be still quite friendly. Um, I mean, if you look, they still on, you know, every year they still do um, kind of the awards for, um, you know, Star Wars fan-made films. Um, In in fact, um, there's a film called um, Star Wars Exile, which a couple of my buddies uh, produced and star in. And, you know, they they got recognition for that. And it was actually there was a clip wow. of it shown on the Star Wars show um, last year. And I, I think they do invite it. I, I know there was a lot of 
kind of nervousness around it. Um, what they don't want, and I don't think what they've ever wanted, is for you to monetize it because you don't own the IP. Um, but outside of that, it is a celebration. They can only it only benefits um, Lucasfilm and Disney to support and to encourage young filmmakers and storytellers to expand upon the mythos of Star Wars because I think that's what gets people more involved. And I mean, from a business standpoint as well, I think it just, it opens up the market for people to buy into this and, and, and to really know that there's a creative um, opportunity for people to tell their story or, or at least, show a reflection of how they interpret star wars to them excellent well that's good to know i I wanted to make sure that you know that kind of thing is out there and and, you know those words of encouragement are good because i'm sure somebody else out there has that kind of same dream of like boy it'd be great if i could find a way to feel like i'm contributing to this you know this event of a lifetime you know phenomenon and and that's kind of always been something that's in the back of my mind. It's like, well, we know that these are not things that any of us here actually own. And so there's always that kind of concern that says, what happens if you get that magic letter in the mail that says you need to stop what you're doing right now or else. And, but it's kind of good that you've had that positive experience and that you can still see that support. Oh, absolutely. And well, and, and real quick, I think the other thing too, that we have to remember is that technology is just getting, um, better, more advanced, and more affordable. So you mm-hmm. do have, uh, you do have a lot of in- inspired filmmakers who can actually um, produce, you know, these lightsaber fights that that don't take as long as they used to 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 uh, have all the kind of CGI aspects. And, and yeah, it does take time, and it can take money. Um, and and if you have if your heart's there and the hard work is there, and you, if you have a good story, people are going to connect to it. I, yeah, I, I don't, that's a good point. You know, uh, if you look at Star Wars Theory's Vader um, episode, I mean, for one, he already had a, a, a big channel, but it resonated with so many people because of the way they designed that story that and it has 10 million plus views. It's got it's I think the largest, you know, the highest number of viewership of any um, of any fan film uh, a lot don't ever hit anything close to that. But that's OK. It's not that's not the point. The point is, is for us to express. Um, sure what this is all about. Yeah. That act of creation is just as, as just as worthy and as valuable as any of the end result. So going yeah. through the process is as rewarding. Certainly. Well, and you know, there's also <laughs> said the, the three guys on a podcast on a Friday night, <laughs> <laughs> but not hanging out with our significant others, mind you. <laughs> the, the, the interesting thing about star Wars, you know, that you brought up is it's this world that people can play in. Um, and I think that's a, an aspect that sets it apart from, you know, the Lord of the Rings and, and even like the Marvel universes is Star Wars has, has not that the other uh, IPs have been negative towards fan interaction, but Star Wars has always had a strong foundation of that. Like it, it's a major factor in the success of Star Wars. I don't. I don't think if, if the, the role-playing games weren't around and fan films weren't around to to keep Star Wars kicking and keep these stories being told in the dark times that we necessarily have the Star Wars that we have today. You know, I mean, to, to an extent, even the expanded universe is a, a level of fan fiction. You know, uh, it, it's a, a greatly executed level and, and an official channel <laughs> of it. But, I mean, honestly, like... 
George Lucas didn't look at it necessarily as you know the canon that he was going to follow so at the time you know that's that's essentially what it was but it doesn't devalue what those stories mean to so many people yeah and i think you have to credit that to george um you know because he for one he obviously had a strong business sense and he knew that he could license a lot of this stuff out but i think he also knew that people were so drawn to it that um, you know, he could have shut, he could have shut all this down early on uh, when he, when he was in control and, uh, he didn't. And because of that, I think that encouraged so many people to get outside their comfort zone and, and to, I mean, making, making any kind of content, whether it is, you know, um, you know, uh, fan fiction, um, short films, music, whatever it is, anything artistic speaking, and especially with Star Wars, it's so personal and we're, we're really vulnerable too when we start doing all of this work that George was so, so cleverly, and generously kind to allow us to to play in that sandbox um, so much so so that I think when anybody's making these films, you see it on their faces, you see it in their, you know, when you see J.J. Abrams or Ryan Johnson now, they just you. It's hard to deny that it is a world that everyone wants to be in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. And speaking <laughs> of a world that everyone wants to be in, I don't know how that segue has anything to do with where we're going next. But ladies and gentlemen, Mark has joined us. Hey, Mark. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome, welcome. You made it. Yeah. Technical uh, issues aside, Mark is here. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that you'd want to be in the world that I've been in in the last... 30 minutes. Or so. <laughs> uh, it's been a little stressful, but a little yeah, sweaty. <laughs> just a little bit. Well, what about, uh, what about the star Wars star Wars world that you're in? Right. That's a hard phrase to say. What are you star Wars? Star, star Wars. Um, I'm listening to the black spire audiobook, and oh, you cool. love it because it's amazing. Oh, I absolutely love it. I'm about halfway through it, but it just keeps getting better and better. Oh yes. That's true for the whole thing. You'll have to listen. We have uh, next week um, on the 19th, we have our episode of Black Spire coming out. Lindsay and I have already recorded, and it is muy bueno. Yes, I cannot wait to hear you guys' review of it. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, there's just so much Star Wars to enjoy right now, so I'm kind of, kind of trying to just pick and choose which things I want to focus on because there's just so much that's coming at us at one time. Yeah, and and especially these next couple months. I mean, like October, there's what one book coming out, and that's like a light month. And then we have like two or three books in November, and a, I think the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian. <laughs> I mean, God, little it, a little thing called the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, just this tiny little thing. Did you not thrilled about that? Not at all. <laughs> Did you guys hear that? Uh, apparently, the Mandalorian is going to give us a little bit more into the formation of the First Order. Yes. Okay, where did where did that official is that an official bit of news that's come out? I, I think it was a I think John Favreau mentioned it in one of yes. his interviews yeah. recently. Is that right? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe I, so. I read that. Yeah, Favreau gave an interview about some stuff and then I think uh the main actor, uh, whose name has just Pascal. He gave an interview not too recently as well. Um 
where I think he mentioned that they'll be exploring some other things in the culture of the character as well. I get the sense that, um, you know, they're not going to give us all of that first order info, you know, straight off the bat, but that they're going to start sprinkling little kernels, planting seeds. And if this, if this show, you know, potentially goes more than two seasons, you know, say we get five or six seasons. Can you imagine six years down the road? You know, and maybe they don't do it. And if they do time jumps too, and maybe it's ten years later from the time that they start Mandalorian, now we're really getting into development of the First Order uh, more so than we've seen before. And I think they could, I think you know that could really tie in and give a lot of context. As obviously we know that there's that thirty year gap. Aside from you know what we've gotten you know in books and comics, it visually. You know, we're, I think a lot of people are hungry for it, um, and I think this is this show is a great way to 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 start diving into it. The, Speaking, the only thing I want to be the the thing I want the, the most out of this show is I want Werner Herzog's character to be the most insane, <laughs> wackadoodle character, and I want it to be amazing because I need more Werner Herzog in my life. And if we get it in Star Wars form, can you imagine what they do with such a crazy character like that? I, oh, it's. Weird. I saw- I saw somebody on Twitter that suggested that what happened was Warner just wandered onto the set one day and they just they just <laughs> kept filming. I don't I don't expect hundred <laughs> percent. I don't expect him to be in the series after the first season. Um, no, he's probably going to be in just like one episode, and he's going to be like yeah. he sends him out maybe like in the opening eight minutes, and then you don't see him again. But you know what? It'll be the best eight minutes of the entire right. series. I'm putting ten bucks on it right now. <laughs> Well, then let's let's take this where where it's headed and take a little break. And then we're going to come back and talk some Star Wars music. When you think of his role in not just modern cinema, but cinema, the idea that he and I got to work together on a Star Wars movie was thrilling. All right. And we are back and it is time to talk some Star Wars music. And we were talking off air uh, before we started recording about how when when Drew and I were first coming up with the idea of a a new podcast we said you know we want to talk about music in some way shape or form had this whole long google document going and uh (laughs) we're you know however many episodes in because i'm terrible about keeping track of that uh and now we're finally talking music so you know better late than never uh it was the force at work because we had to wait to have Brooke on to be able to discuss this. There so, you go. Brooke, I'm going to toss it to you because you kind of have a plan uh, of where you want to lead us on this adventure as we go towards the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I, you know, I think the, it, the music of, of, of Star Wars is, is so vast. There's so much to, to digest and unpack. Um, I think what we what we're gonna do is we're just gonna I think focus on kind of what we're experiencing in this new trilogy uh, so far and where we think we it might go. Um, you know we're only you know three and a half months away, and um, oh. what better way to celebrate that than than to to dive into um, you know one of the more, most prolific storytellers in the world in history uh, with that being John Williams. So. Um, John Williams, as you guys know, uh, he's really, uh, you know, it, he's the heart of Star Wars to me. Um, and he has been for me uh, since I was nine years old. Um, you know, the, the language of Star Wars has been told um, not only visually, but audibly through 
uh, through his music. And without his music, you know, we I think we can all recognize that it's it wouldn't be Star Wars. These soundtracks are so experiential yeah. and he writes with so much intent that it's infectious. And you can hear that music in out of context and it takes you right back to the story. Um, and whatever that story means to you, um, it's really powerful. So, um, there, there's a lot of wonderful podcasts out there, um, who have, who've talked about John Williams and his contributions to star Wars, whether it's David W. Collins or like you had, um, Marie Claire, um, just a couple episodes ago with what the force and her meta music with my friend, Christy Carew, um, they do a fantastic job, uh, diving into, um, you know, what John's done with, um, you know, race theme and Kylo theme and, um, mm. You know, yeah. I, I don't know how far we'll get into Raylo. Um and <laughs> I know that's a that's a fun topic to 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 chat about, but I, I just want to talk about the fact that, you know, John coming back to this, and this goes back to what we were talking about in the very beginning of of this this um episode. It's this this is a sandbox. I think while he might not have thought it was a given for him to come back, I think it was such a delight for JJ or for him to be invited by JJ to keep the story going, for him to nurture and to allow the story to progress and let and, and recall themes that meant so much to so many people. Um, you know, I what I want what I'd like to kind of look at is just real quick is how these sequel films have been approached um, in terms of music. Um, 60 Minutes did, uh, I don't know if you guys recall, back in 2015 for The Force Awakens, they they did a, a segment on on the film. And there was one, one part where John Williams says, you know, J.J. wanted him to, to give him the feeling of the original trilogy films. And I think we do get the sense of that, that, you know, and, and it's argued that some people will say, you know, there's a lot leaning on the kind of the new hope aspects of the film. And while yeah, certainly absolutely. there's certain tropes to it, there's a lot of new stuff in there. Um, but I think what John was trying to express was that he want he they JJ recognized what brought, you know, the original fans of Star Wars to Star Wars. And there's a certain level of fun and excitement, and um, I think John was really excited to to dive into it. Um, and so, I think when JJ collaborated with John Williams, it was it was a true collaboration. And I think JJ is, if you've ever watched any of his films or any of his projects, the music that he has is incredible in his films. Super Eight, um, while it's not my favorite film in the world. Listen to Michael Giacchino's score to it. It is just—it's yeah. full of heart, yeah. and it—and it—and it really does display a certain level of invitation, um, bringing you into what that world is and what that story represents. Um, or you know, you look at you know, the Star Trek films, which um, and I—I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, but they're fun for me. Those films, but the music <laughs> that Giacchino <laughs> develops is outstanding and you just get that sense that that jj really has a great time making these films and he's so cinematic and he wants the music to 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 really breathe life into those films where you look at um 
Ryan Johnson and what he did with The Last Jedi, he was um, interviewed by Edith Bowman. Um, I can't remember the name of her podcast, um, but she talks with him um, about you know the process, and it was a little to me a little less organic than I imagined it would be. Where uh, usually as a composer, uh, you know we we get brought on you know at various levels whether it's script level or during production usually in post-production if you look at um say um rogue one you know i think we all know that michael giacchino came in really last minute he had about four and a half weeks to write and score that film (laughs) i don't know how he did it that that is genius what he did in that amount of time Um, but the point being is that John has had a lot of time to work on these films, and J.J. really likes to dive in with his composers early on. In, in The Last Jedi, um, you know, they they approached it a little bit differently. Um, Ryan said that he actually had his, um, um, you know, his music editor temp up, you know, cut up a bunch of random um, previous John Williams works from Star Wars and and put them as temp tracks throughout the film as kind of a an idea of what they felt represented those scenes um, and gave it to John. And then John kind of interpreted it on his own. Oh, and, that's interesting. And it's a different yeah, bro- it's an entirely different process than just kind of than what he would have done in like the 70s with Lucas's original films. Absolutely, yeah. and I think what and I think with what J with what he did with JJ, um, and and it's really interesting because with Ryan Johnson, he had never worked with another composer before other than Nathan Johnson, which is his cousin. Um, every other film that Ryan Johnson has done and is you know now with Knives Out coming out, um, also with Nathan Johnson, you know it's 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 so different. Um, I would love to chat more with Ryan Johnson about his approach and why he chose to do it that way. That's um, interesting. But it, it going back to JJ and with what JJ's focus is, and really, I, we all know what the focus of uh, the Rise of Skywalker in terms of marketing is, and it's tying all nine films together uh, to conclude the Skywalker saga. And I think with that in mind, and with however they've written that story they're going to look back on the 40 plus years of star Wars, not just with the original trilogy, but with, you know, kind of the more epic nature of the prequel, uh, films, musically speaking, I, I'm not going to be surprised that this is one of the biggest, most epic sounding, um, star Wars films to date. Would you guys maybe agree with that at some capacity? I don't see how it couldn't be. Um, it's tying up nine films, 40 plus years. So absolutely. I, I, the one thing that I'm concerned about is I don't necessarily want to hear our greatest hits. Uh, so it's, it's how it's interwoven into the story is, is where I'm interested to see how it plays out. Absolutely. And I think I, this might be blasphemy. I, I, I love The Lost Jedi and I love the score for The Lost Jedi and what Ryan does, uh, sorry, what John does in that film in certain scenes is just some of the best um, music to picture ever. And we can talk about that later on. But 
I actually get the sense that that was probably the most, um, uh, probably the closest to a best of um, that we've gotten in terms of Star Wars score. And I, I think that that's probably going to still be the case when this trilogy is over. Um, the way that the story is progressing and the way that these themes are kind of manifesting in themselves, I, uh, I'm kind of led to the conclusion that we're going to hear some new timbres, some new sounds, uh, new, new orchestration, but also new developments of themes and, um, you know, kind of progressions on themes that we've kind of gotten used to over so many years. Um, well, and I mean, if 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 you listen to particularly uh, the soundtrack show with David W. Collins, he he keys in on some music that inspired John Williams for certain tracks that he wrote. And one of the things I've noticed is exactly that 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 John takes a lot of the direction that he takes a film from the the temp music or for from mm-hmm. a, a previous p- piece of music. Um, and not that he doesn't have any original work because obviously like he's amazing um but it it's different when your your inspiration your your baseline is yourself you know it it kind of becomes like if you're a writer and the only books you ever read are your own you're not going to become you know a better writer and i think that might have been a little bit of a trap of the last jedi uh soundtrack because i do feel like it, it I don't necess- I don't think it's. I don't think it's bad at all. I absolutely love it, and I listen to it all the time. But it is missing a little bit of that spark that I think some of the other soundtracks have. And that's that's largely uh, due to what I my interpretation is of what Ryan Johnson was saying that you know rather than going scene by scene um, and and drawing the emotion um, out of the story and and creating something new that they. Um, you know, and this is kind of what I'm going to go into real quick is what I think a lot of composers are challenged with is some films that you work on are going to have temp music in your film that you're working on that you have to then try to honor, but not plagiarize, but make new and make sense in the, in the film that you're doing. Um, and then there's other films where they don't temp it out at all. And uh, you are writing everything from scratch. You are just going off of the, your discussions with the filmmaker. Um, John, uh, I'm sorry, Hans Zimmer, uh, he's famous for saying, you know, uh, the temp is is really, you know, the, the thing that kind of prohibits creativity. And, and, you know, what at the end of the day, us as composers, we are just doing the job and st- telling the story of the film actual director of the story it is not our story to tell um with that being said there's probably the hardest thing to do is to tempt something you know to write something with the temp music that is your own music that you've already previously <laughs> written yeah. to write it new and and to bring out kind of new themes um if we look back uh at the three trilogies you look at at the prequels and look at duel of the fates or anakin and obi-wan it's big it's grand it's 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 of epic proportions and that was on purpose that was lucas's vision this was a time of old uh, of greatness um before the fall 
and it was a macro view. It was the dogma of the Jedi and the fall of the Republic. And, and obviously it kind of transforms into something obviously written prior, but the original trilogy, which we have, um, you know, it's not quite a micro view, but it's in between a micro and a, and a, and a macro view of, of what the galaxy and the force is. And, you know, we have the tyranny of the empire. Uh, we have the call of the need for the Jedi to come back. And um, we have these familial connections and we hear it musically and it and it, it feels a little more personal um we we hear binary sunset i think is the most perfect version of the force theme that we'll hear and we'll get into the force theme and how in the new films um they don't we don't get this type of resolution that we get in binary sunset um but then we move into the the sequel trilogy which to me i f- i look at it as a reverse pyramid where you know prequels are really big and then we're starting to slow down like kind of the the scope is starting to get a little bit smaller and we get the sequels and this is really such a personal focus on the force itself and what balance means within the force um and we hear it in the music um and it's almost becoming self-aware that, you know, there's myths and legends, that there's this inner struggle between light and dark and this need for belonging. And we get the Force Awakens literally in in TFA. And I think we're going to get the Force resolves in Rise of Skywalker. So you, you mentioned it being a very personal story. And this is a question that I've always kind of had when Ray is taking up the lightsaber when she calls the lightsaber to her in the forest on Starkiller base it plays uh, the Burning Homestead track um, which is, yes. is kind of you know Luke's crossing uh, or you know taking up the mantle just as it is Ray's but if it's a more personal story why not go why go with something that that is attached to Luke and something that has already been used instead of creating something for Ray herself or using Ray's theme. What, what particular purpose do you think John Williams had in, in making that choice? Cause I feel like it was a pretty bold choice. Well, I'm not sure if you've listened or you're probably aware, but if you listen to the actual track in the force awakens, John Williams did write a version of the force theme for that part. Um, and it's different than Binary Sunset, or sorry, uh, Burning Homestead. And I'll have to double check, um, but I feel like I remember seeing or hearing something that there was something in post that even after they did the score, listening to Burning Homestead and and how it worked, sometimes picking music, it doesn't have to be super literal for the scene that you're looking at. So in that particular scene, what I mean by that is if we look back at a new hope and we have, uh, when Obi-Wan, um, you know, uh, when Obi-Wan dies, we, we hear princess Leia's theme.
it's kind of random in context or out of context. Um, it doesn't it doesn't make sense, but it feels right. It wasn't feel- wasn't wasn't Yoda's theme used in parts of Yoda's theme originally was used in um, the Cloud City portions of Empire. Because there's if you listen to Yoda's track, you hear music that is playing during Cloud City. I'll have to double check that. I, I think there might be some titling. The, Star Wars has not been great about, uh, especially early Star Wars, about titling their their tracks very well. Um, yeah. But I, I think the point what I would what I would try to say is that yes, that that was a very personal choice right there. And I think with what this this must have been a JJ choice for him to look at that scene and say, I like what John did here, but this is recalling to um, a, a point where before then you had the refusal of the, you know, it's the, in, in the hero's journey, you have that re- refusal to the call. Um, and at, up until the point when Luke is, um, you know, before his aunt and uncle die, he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go with Obi-Wan. He, you know, he's, he's in enough trouble as it is. Um, and it's not until that moment that he has nothing left. He has nothing to lose. Um, and while Ray only up to this point, what's what we know, Ray saw Han Solo as a, fatherish figure for you know uh, for a split split second but it meant something to her and she refused that call initially and at that point she saw finn who obviously got i thought he died at that point in the first time i saw (laughs) force awakens but she knew it was her duty that she had to take that call and i see that connection there and i could see why jj would put that music there because it's now her turn to take up the mantle and to go on that journey that if we look at Ray's thing and theme and whenever we're ready to talk about Ray's theme, that is the journey in and of itself that Ray is going to be going on. But I think it was just more symbolic to tie in the hero's journey itself with what we hear in a new hope with Luke. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. The way it kind of transitions into the the regular force theme there, it kind of shows her resolve and her acceptance of, of what it is that she has to do now. So I, I think that was, and especially like you had mentioned before, Brooke, about how much the Force Awakens um, quotes from A New Hope in general, that it's it's very, very strong connection, it, it, even into the soundtrack there. And so it, it ties those two moments together about the hero who's ready to finally step up and and take responsibility for what they're what they're gonna have to do in in a moment. So I, I like that. I think the last Jedi. If we go back to that just for a moment, um, is is Mark? You, you your concern about the rise of Skywalker? I think is the same thing that I have. Is the fact that it's going to be a whole lot of other characters' own themes, and that I feel like it's got a real challenge of crowding out any new um, themes and music contribution characters. Anything new that we do get a chance to enjoy in nine because. Seven did a great job of, of quoting from the original films, and it should have. Eight, I think, does it a lot, and I'm not quite sure it, need, it needed to as much. Um, I wonder if maybe that's maybe re- uh, due to the temping of music in by Johnson and crew um, to give Williams more of a direction that he wanted to go rather than maybe not allowed to write as much new information because I can't, maybe you guys can help me think of it. The only two real new lines of music for new Jedi, for the last Jedi that I can think of are, you know, Rose gets a theme 
And then there's some action in Canto Bite, which has its own very interesting and, and, and a unique approach to music. But Kylo's theme is there. Ray's theme is already established. Yoda's theme comes back. Luke and Leia's theme is there. Leia and Han's theme is there. We have so many of those things repeated. Is there anything else new from like a major entry? Like, is, is there a character that I'm missing that gets a new theme? The the piece I'm thinking of is uh, it plays uh, during portions of the Octo scenes where with uh, Luke. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah, the 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 scene where he uses the pole vault to, to okay that theme, that little jaunty theme that plays. I kind of. For me, when I listen to it, it kind of sounds like it's kind of a, a new theme for Luke. But it it's like, is. Yeah, Luke at this point in, in his life. So even I, that one, because I, I know, I, I think I know what which piece we're talking about, because e- that one reminded me a lot of Revenge of the Sith in the way the opening battle sequence when Obi-Wan and Anakin are flying their mustard and ketchup ships through, you know, the, the droid <laughs> armies. That one has a lot of those like staccato trumpet and brass sections. Da da dun da da dun da da dun. And it's the same kind of to me. It evoked the same kind of sensation in Luke's training, but it's it's scaled back because it's obviously one man who's not fighting against an army, but he's just fighting to. He's not even really fighting to live anymore. He's just barely hanging on anymore. So I wasn't really sure that it's it's it didn't strike me as completely new as something like Ray's theme. It's a brand new piece of music that we don't really have anything else comparable to in the way in the melody that it evokes and whatnot there. Uh, Kylo Ren's theme is is unique to his character and isn't really used for much else. He doesn't have like a whole theme like Ray does. He's got like a little motif like the Death Star had, really. Haldo uh, has a new theme, I think. I think oh, really? Yeah. Well, I don't know that you would necessarily tie it specifically to Haldo, but it's it's a piece of music that I only hear during mostly Haldo's okay. scenes. That's interesting. I'll have to go and, back. And, it's been a long and time since I've watched that one front to back, so I have to try this movie again. And, so, and some of that is not uh, on the soundtrack either. Aha! Uh-huh. There lies another but, problem. <laughs> but I will say, uh, in terms of that theme or that motif for Luke, I call that, um, and I was especially the, my last watch of um, the, the Last Jedi, which I was watching it the score only version, which any Star Wars fan, regardless if you like the film or not, I think is a fantastic way to to experience Star Wars. And I think they should do that for every single Star Wars film uh, because these these films are made for – you can tell the story between the music and the picture alone. You don't even need the dialogue. That is how great John Williams is. But when I noticed and I was listening to it, it is a new theme. It is a little more subtle – um, it's not as memorable, but it's a refusal theme. It's him saying, no, I am not a part of this anymore. I don't want to. I, uh, he's grumpy about it too. And that's, I think, <laughs> I think expressed in the brass, like he's, he's brash and he's, and we all know he's, he's kind he's jaded and he's, he is what he is. And I think John wanted to, um, represent that um with with a with a motif that i think to me works really really well because it 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 does 
only really play on uh, on Octo. And one thing I will say, going to to Octo and listening to the music there, it is eerie. It is weird. It is unsettling. And there's something about that that just really reminds me of, of that it's strong in the force. You go to you go to Dagobah, and again, it's a different kind of weird because it's a different planet with different things going on. But mm-hmm. you just feel the force all around, and it and it's it's more of that physical aspect where you're somewhere where there's a lot of stuff going on here that you you have no idea as a listener what's going on. And um, I just loved it. That was one thing. It was more like the thing about The Last Jedi and why I love it so much is it's not – to me, the film was not about the flashy themes, the new themes. It was more – the things that make this sco- score so great is in its subtlety and in its subtle ways of of how it develops and where it develops um, really shines for me. But – I don't notice it as much until you watch that score only version. So if you guys have it, please check it out. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I have to give that a shout out. I don't think I've done that version of it yet. I want to go back to uh, to to Ray though because for me the the first time we meet Ray, those first, you know, 5 10 minutes whatever it is we spend with her um, with nothing but the music, I think is just just absolutely amazing and john has spoken about john like i'm on a first name basis with him uh john (laughs) williams yeah johnny boy uh john williams has spoken about you know ray being one of the main motivating factors for him coming back to this uh story is is not wanting anyone else to write music for daisy ridley (laughs) and uh i just think ray's theme you know just just the the message that it conveys the feeling that it conveys is is absolutely amazing so brooke kind of Take us through like Ray's theme and the music surrounding Ray, and, and kind of the story that John Williams is telling there. Absolutely, uh, my favorite version of her theme is actually on the soundtrack called Ray's Theme. This theme is not actually played, or I should say, this track is not actually played in the. Um, in the film whatsoever um it's a concert suite but i think it perfectly encapsulates what john loves about daisy about ray in general um her theme and the way it plays out is much more of an adventure theme than a hero's theme um you know obviously it starts off um you know with with these motifs they're uh, kind of representing you know a little bit of sorrow that she's lonely that she is the scavenger but you know that there's gonna be uh as it starts ramping up and we actually hear the sorry my my pitch is a little off right now but um you know we know that especially with these strings and and the orchestration that he uses it's feminine but it's strong and john williams touches on something um and he's even i think he said it himself is that you know there's she's vulnerable at the same time uh, this theme evolves within the track of race theme it evolves and you know there's key changes and these key changes um and i think 
David W. Collins pointed this out perfectly, but it signifies that this journey is going to be an unexpected journey. Um, there's some dark side temptations there. Um, you know, musically speaking, there's some things that kind of get a little dark before it gets a little bit more optimistic again. Um, you know, the destiny is filled with action and heavy emotions. So by the end of this track, we've kind of experienced where we think she's going to be going through the challenges that she's going to be rising. There's these large um, interval leaps uh, between notes that uh, signify that she's going to have to be trekking and she's going to have to be persevering. And at the very end, you know, we go back uh, to the celeste, which is the instrument that we hear in the beginning and the end of, of that track. With a dun 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 dun, and it's really kind of soft and somber, and kind of just reminding us that you know her journey, her journey is is just beginning, and where it goes from there gets represented in so many different ways throughout the different films. In terms of orchestration, the types of instruments that are playing her theme, and we can talk about that. If you guys have noticed that her theme is played a lot in Force Awakens and in um, in The Last Jedi, there are a lot of places where we hear it, and sometimes it doesn't resolve, and times where you know it's maybe it's not strings or flutes and sometimes it's brass and it's really just aggressive and it's representing where she's at at that part of her journey super fascinating so you said like it doesn't resolve what exactly does that mean and and how does that manifest and, and what exactly is the message that that the composer tries to convey in in doing that in a piece I think with something like Star Wars, um, you know, John John Williams, his going back to what we talked a little bit about before, your goal in writing for this film, and if say we just look at just The Force Awakens, your goal uh, or your job is is to really if you're writing a character theme, it's really something that's going to represent that character at that time um it, you don't want to overshadow it with um foresight um you want to leave things open so she can evolve or so that the story can take place um you know there's obviously the arguments back and forth on you know how much was this sequel trilogy planned out um and without needing to know that i think what John Williams has to do and what his goal is, is to, um, is to honor what his interpretation of Ray is. He is obviously, um, enamored by her. Um, I think she herself, and I love her performance in the force awakens. And I can see why he was so inspired to write that, that score. Um, or I should say that theme, but in terms of it not resolving, at the very end, it, I, if if we listen to the end of race theme, um, the track called race theme, it's you're almost at the highest height.
all of a sudden we just go straight back into what we heard in the beginning. And to me, I look at that and I listen to that and I see that this is kind of um, John Williams saying, we are going on this journey and Ray, I know she's going to have a lot to endure and that she's going to have to overcome a lot of obstacles. Um, and, at the same time, he's not – even at that time, he doesn't know quite sure where she's going to end up. But there's going to be some sense of uh, – while while there's a little bit of sorrow and loneliness in the beginning, there's also – for me and my interpretation is a little bit of solitude as well that mm. she can do this, that um, you know she will have gone through all this stuff to find out that you know it's only what was in front of her that made her who she was and yeah and uh, if you kind of think of like her actions in the force awakens where she leaves jakku and makes it all the way to takodana where she's never seen so much green in her life her motivation at that point is still to get back to home still and it kind of is mirrored in that music where it starts with the scavenger theme and then it's very personal throughout the entire piece but brooke like you said it goes back to the original you know, the, the very introduction is used as an outro. And so it's kind of mirrored in, in her motivations where she's she's there on Jakku and that's where she belongs. That's where she wants to be in order to wait for her parents to return. And she goes and has this brief adventure. But in the back of her mind, she knows I have to go back to where I was. And that has to be broken first before she's ready to move on to the next thing. Oh, absolutely. And if you look at um, in The Last Jedi, when when they're when Luke is training Ray and, and they're doing lesson one, her thing comes in. It's, it's soft and it's beautiful and it's naturally progression, progressing into something, um, a little more conflicted. And all of a sudden right. it's only like halfway through the passage before, um, you know, it really ramps up and you start getting this dark side energy and it, and it, and it evolves into something else. You know, it's, it's the fact that, She's on this trajectory, but just because in The Force Awakens at the very end, she thinks, oh, I found Luke. Like this this is what I'm banking on for me to to give me the answers. And then all of a sudden we're listening to music and John Williams is doing this really cool thing where he's basically illustrating that, oh, she's found Luke and she's starting to learn the Force. But as she's actually tapping into the Force – that the force doesn't just work in one particular way where if you say it's light side, it's light side, that there's something else amassing and we see it visually. I thought that was one of the most interesting steps that Ryan took was to see what literally what she sees in her mind or in her head of kind of the, um, you know, where the Island is evolving from light to dark. Um, but when when he says um uh when he's calling to her and she's just going to that dark place that music turns really quickly and we are yeah. no longer in ray's theme whatsoever and i think if i tie that back to ray's theme the the the, the concert suite track that's kind of like in the middle of the track she it's not the same music but that's where we start seeing some detours that we're, we're not it's not always going to be this easy road for ray um and john does this a lot throughout the throughout the um throughout the both both really both of those films so 
if we go and we look at Ray's theme and then Jedi steps, I've always kind of thought they have like a very similar vibe to them, you know, and, and you mentioned her Ray kind of like finding her place. This is kind of where things have been culminating to. Do you think there is like musically a direct connection between those two pieces of, uh, uh, of, uh, composition between Jedi steps and Ray's theme? Yeah. You know, I think with Jedi Steps, no, not so much. I think uh, the, the way I hear it and just musically speaking, there's more of a dark side manner to Jedi Steps. Um, Very uneasy, yeah. It, it is uneasy. It's mysterious. Yeah. Um, and when we hear it in The Force Awakens – you know, it's and this is uh, again David W. Collins. He pointed this out, and when I watched it, I said, "Oh my gosh, he's so right." You know, the weight of the galaxy at that point is on Luke's shoulders. Whether anyone knows it or not, I think most people are aware. And you know, on the shoulders of it's you know, obviously there's so much that that Luke has dealt with in, in terms of uh, Ben Solo's fall. But there's also a lot of hope and destiny in the music. Um, and it's kind of a request for balance. It's the call. It's, it's where Ray is now going to take up the mantle or take the burden of weight uh, for the galaxy. Because she's... When we have that... I've always looked at um, at that scene at the end of TFA or the beginning of Last Jedi as you know it it was Luke's refusal and and towards the end obviously Luke kind of comes and saves the day but he really hands it off to Ray to um, to take on and the musically speaking I think it's it's almost like Jedi Steps is it's not. A new version of the Force theme, but it, it's an extension of the Force theme. It's it's the balance of the Force, if that makes sense. Just, I mean, thinking about the the ideas of the sequel trilogy and and Ray and Kylo being, you know, two halves of the same protagonist, kind of break down Kylo Ren's. Uh, he he has two themes, right? Like he has more of the Ben Solo theme and more of the Kylo Ren theme? You know, there's different ways that we can interpret this. There's there's really three different um, motifs or themes that, um, that we hear that are all associated with Kylo Ren. Um, you know, the first one, which I, this is, everyone's kind of got their own name for it. Um, but my name is, is, I've named it the mask theme. I've noticed with his theme there is it's wanting to be brooding. It's wanting to be um, intimidating. But notice how it's not like um, it's not like. 
the Imperial March, where the Imperial March, it, it, it's like everyone is behind Vader and everyone is kind of on board. We all know that between Kylo and and Hux, I mean, you could just kind of see there's there's already inner turmoil and inner struggle within the First Order. Um, I just remember the scene where where uh, Kylo finds out that that Ray has escaped the interrogation uh, chamber, and you see those two. Uh, stormtroopers like walking in they're like oh nope we're not doing like Kylo's off his rocker again (laughs) and 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 that's that's what I see about this theme is that while it conveys strength and threat and dread to me it's almost like imposter syndrome it's fake yeah he's he's trying he's trying too hard he only has a few notes (laughs) to represent what he does but notice how it doesn't just continually play you can listen to the imperial march on loop and it will never get old um and that i think also plays into the the relentlessness of what the empire represented and what they were able to do kylo can't do that um that's a that's a really good point about how his his theme only contains a few notes because it's almost as if it sort of represents the fact that he Kylo himself has not really thought about the end game. He's really only thinking about the here and now, and at least in the beginning, the presentation. And I don't think he's really thought things through as to like, where is this all truly leading? Because if he were focused on that, that end point, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have so much internal conflict because he's doubting whether the end point is truly where he needs, he's going to head. Oh, absolutely. And that that kind of leads into his conflict theme. He's got uh, the these notes at play. Um, if if we were to play um, the finale from um, The Force Awakens towards the end around uh, 4 minutes, 25 seconds, we hear it. It's it, – what it is is um, – it's it's brooding and it can rise but if you listen to it in the various context of both films it's pretty astonishing we go over to let's say the last the last jedi and listen to the track revisiting snoke where kylo sees snoke in the throne room we hear in the beginning we hear that low men's choir um and i think that has a lot to do with um sound you know that sound is very um um reminiscent of like what we hear in also the uh, the force awakens but also kind of similar to the opera house in revenge of the sith yeah, it's very while they're not a trilogy there and, and I still think that's all because it's somehow tied to Palpatine. Um, without well, it, can I jump in real quick? Because I, I did want to ask you about this moment. Maybe this might be something you were about to get to, but the the moment where the Emperor's theme is used specifically in that, in, or in the throne room scene later. Yes. Um, at the t- right before the battle. right at the time, just my initial reaction to that was oh he's going for like maybe now John is using this as like this is just the 
the dark side of the Force theme. But it seems like now that we know what we know about the rise of Skywalker, that maybe there was a little bit more intent there. Have you given that some thought? I have, and I do think John writes as intentional as he can. Um, Whether he knew or not that, you know, there was going to be a connection between, or if he knew that Palpatine was going to come back or not, we don't know at this point. But what we do know is that he is coming back to some degree. And I think it was imperative that we hear these callbacks to um, to Palpatine, um, but not only with what we hear from Return of the Jedi and that kind of theme, because I do associate that, um, you know, when when they're uh, when Luke and Vader and uh, Palpatine are all together, and we hear that music, it is. Cl- Lear's day that that is Palpatine uh, being yeah. represented and we hear it again and sure out of context it sounds like oh well this is the best we could do we, we don't have Palpatine so we're going to use this I think this is going to be a really wonderful thread into what we, whatever it is that we experience for for Palpatine I'm not sure uh, what you know, I'm I'm all I'm kind of wide open in terms of where I think Palpatine, how and what they'll do and the execution of it. Um, but I think where I want to get into and kind of the whole point of what my interpretation of the, the the sequel trilogy is is using the redemption of Ben Solo as kind of the hallmark for balance. Um, we hear this deteriorating um, theme, thematic material from the beginning of Force Awakens to the end of The Last Jedi. You can tell that the Force is working through him. We can see it visually, but we can hear it as well. And and what I mean by that is when we're in the throne room scene earlier and we do hear that men's choir, all of a sudden – you you hear a little bit of that conflict theme, but it's light and you know it's with brass, but it's um, it's not as bombastic. It's not growing. It illustrates Kylo's sense of defeat. It's slow and it's drawn out. And then shortly after that, we hear his mask theme again. That that brooding sound when he takes his mask off, but it's not as uh, intimidating as we hear it in The Force Awakens. It sounds as if he has his tail between his legs. He's shattered, kind of pathetic in the eyes of his master. And soon after that, we hear that conflict theme um, again as he's going, as he leaves. And Soon after, uh, he's you know we know that he's growing with anger and animosity. He smashes that mask, and when he smashes that mask, it's interesting because that time that mask theme it plays, and it plays probably with the most you know kind of balls to the wall um, intensity that we hear at any point up to that part of the Last Jedi.
Russia. I think what John is doing there is is really illustrating that, um, you know, Kylo. Kylo doesn't need to be doesn't need his mask to prove that he can play in the dark side. Um, at the same time, we will come back to uh, the more conflict theme later on in the film and see that it's still tearing at him. We see it visually, but we hear it as well that no matter what and no matter how hard Kylo Ren wants to be a supreme leader, to be the ultimate dark side master, there's too much light in him. There's something going on in him internally. And I think a lot of that does play with the fact that his mask theme, some of those notes are, are the same as some of the notes in Ray's theme. And there's a little bit of connective tissue there. Uh, Kylo being broken. He's got these motifs. They don't last long though. He's obviously shattered what I, what I'm taking from that and what I think I'm getting to is that if we see, and I do believe we're going to see some sort of redemption of Kylo Ren, we're going to see or we're going to hear something that incorporates what we already know in Kylo's music, but it's going to be played out, I think, more as a theme, more as you know, a beginning, middle, and end like we hear with uh, Ray's theme. And mm, that'd be interesting. To have. That's what that's where that's where I see all of this going. Um, you know, another example: uh, the ways of the Force. This is a track from um, the Force Awakens. It's the lightsaber battle at the end on Starkiller Base, and we hear Kylo's conflict theme. It suggests that I don't know. To me, even at that point, I didn't notice it the first several times I saw The Force Awakens, but definitely after The Last Jedi, if you are focusing on the music and you listen to that conflict theme, there's a suggestion from John Williams that he isn't actually trying to kill Rey. Uh, he's suggested... I mean, he, we audibly hear him say that she needs a teacher, but in the music, we it, there's more of a sense of empathy. And Rey, on the other hand... When she realizes that she needs to tap into the force, what do we hear? We don't hear her theme. We don't hear his theme. We hear the force theme. And then once she acknowledges that it is the force that she that's calling through her, John Williams then uses Ray's theme in a commanding way. She's he's using it with lower brass instead of high strings or flute. And and what that takeaway is that she's the lion, that she is in control at that particular moment, and that her force powers are being further realized than they were before. And why I connect that to back to Kylo is because at no point in that battle, looking back on it, do I see that Kylo Ren is is really trying to take her out. He's He's already sympathizing. He's already wanting to know more, and he's already starting to extend himself to her, and we hear that musically. And it's also the purview of the dark side users to look for that apprentice. I mean, every single person we've seen wield basically a red lightsaber wants to have their own apprentice themselves to take on their own master, too. So he's kind of falling in step with that, too, which makes good sense. That's true. 
Any questions? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a lot. There's I've, I've been talking a lot, and there's so much to talk about. And um, I, you know, there's let's keep it going. What what, what questions do you guys have? I I had a uh, kind of it's it's kind of to sort of shift the focus a little bit, but I just wondered, Brooke, if you could uh, talk about uh, there's a something that I've noticed about. Uh, sort of it plays the the resistance theme the march that you hear both in uh we first hear it during the x-wings uh on takadana in the force awakens uh yes. and then and then you hear it again on crate to me the structure of that track is very similar to the imperial march and yet you would think that the side that is so diametrically opposed from the empire or the first order would have a different structure for a theme. And yet it, it's very similar. I just wonder if that's, if there's a connection there that perhaps is being made either musically or thematically about, uh, the two sides and, and if there's any relation to how they form, how they fight, what they fight for, that you know, I think bringing that up is a great question. Um, I've I've always looked at the March of, of the Resistance. For one, it's one of my favorite tracks or favorite themes that we hear in the new sequel trilogy. There's just energy, and if I if I was to dissect it, I what I like to do is is look at music on an emo. While yeah, there's technical aspects to any piece of music that's written, uh, I look at the more of like the emotional connective tissue to it. They come in and yeah, their fleet is small <laughs> through both films, and yet there is there's this sense of um, uh, confidence. And mm-hmm. you know they're being yeah. led by General Leia, and 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 Poe obviously you know being the hotshot pilot, and we see his arc evolve a little bit. I think both of which are are going to show to be um, moving into Episode Nine. At some point, they are going to be commanding. I, at least it's my hope, and it's my feeling that whatever they bring back and whatever they're seeking, they are going to end up having a force to be reckoned with. Um, there are so many people out in the galaxy. I think, you know, there's a lot of John. I don't, I don't believe John would just write something like that. If he didn't think that this story was going to go in a direction that had all hands on deck by the end of this trilogy where you have everyone there who is tired of the oppression, who's tired of being pushed around, who's tired of getting blown up. And and it's almost it's almost like a just a statement right off the top of the bat, like the resistance will not be messed with. Um, you know, I know there's there's a little bit of uh, it's it can be a little convoluted um, for for some folks in terms of you know the relationship between the resistance and the the republic and and that backstory but if we're looking forward um, I think what 
what JJ was trying to do and what John was trying to do was to to portray a, a sense of energy and a sense of uh, foresight that you know at the end of the day you know the good guys are going to win when we know that um, and we get to hear and and so by the time episode nine plays when you hear that theme coming in you know and it probably will play before you see whatever fleet they they put together <laughs> it'll start playing and you're gonna say here it comes like yeah. they they you know it's it's going to be a precursor you've been trained to to anticipate something monumental is going to happen because they did a lot with a very little and they're going to do a heck of a lot more with a whole lot at their hand at their side yeah that's a good point about um the persistence and the doing a lot with a little because the first time we hear that theme they're they're riding in on in x-wings and it's this grand, like, you know, almost apocalypse now entra- entrance. And yet, when we hear it in The Last Jedi, they're in those rinky-dink little ships. And yet you still hear the same theme. So that's that's a great tie-in to how it's it's not really about what they're using. It's it's their, their resolve. Oh, absolutely. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, um, because I, I, I find this fundamentally important to this this discussion of um, kind of the music that we've been experiencing in this sequel trilogy. And The Force Awakens, I think, does set up a lot for what we are going to experience in in The Rise of Skywalker. Um and and one kind of came out of an unlikely place. The last time I watched The Force Awakens, um, the most recent time was um, on Tuesday, and there was one scene that just hit me really hard, and that was uh, on Dakar, and that's when Han and Leia are talking with each other, and you can hear this um, here on Han and Leia's theme. What it is, is you hear that conflict theme of Kylo's playing uh, when Han says that they've lost their son. But I think what is so magical is that the Force theme comes in uh, as soon as Leia says that the two of them can bring them back. And I think this is a huge foreshadowing that because the Force theme is playing and saying that the two of them are going to help bring them back, they're going to bring them back to whatever the balance of the force means. And it's not only those two, I think Luke as well, but ever since Han died, I, I'm a firm believer that he did not die in vain, that in fact, he knew exactly what he needed to do to save his son and him putting himself in that position was exactly what he needed to do to, um, to really crack open that wound that's within Kylo already, that um, that light side that's trying to sneak in. I think Khan knew that if he could sacrifice himself, that that would open up. He he trusts the Force. He knows what the Force is. We hear it. It, it is so in your face uh, when he's talking to um, Ray and Finn on the Falcon that he he's a believer he knows that what the force is up to is is real it's he's no longer a doubter 
and he knows that the force works in really messed up ways so much so that he lost his son but i think with what john is doing here and i'm I'm assuming with what his conversation with jj is and jj was probably the one who said hey you know here we need han and we need leia to give the audience a sense that their kid could actually come back to the light side to some degree so to to go to the torn apart segment of that of that film of of the force awakens it it's a very hollow sound to it you know and it's this moment when kylo is supposed to be fully giving himself to the dark side and you would expect it to end in this big like bombastic um or you know theme or you know a coral uh a theme like the snoke or or palpatine and it just it it just doesn't um and I, i think that is you know representative of his soul at that point that that he's not getting what he thinks he's supposed to be getting because there is still that the force is is working to find a way to get him back in balance Absolutely. We don't hear really a cele- anything celebratory. We don't hear any version of Kylo's theme right after that, that that gives us an indication that, hey, you know, he 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 did what he did and he's proud of it and he's um, confident that that's really pulling him closer to the dark side or, or stronger in the dark side. It's music that's sorrowful and the music almost stops when when Han puts his face to to uh to ben and that it, that's perfect because what you're doing and what john williams is doing there is he's illustrating along with the lighting and along with the the, the editing that i think what i believe to be true is that this is han's sacrifice this is what this is the only thing that han could have done within his power to bring his son back now it can't be done alone. It's not for her, just him to save his son. There's going to be others involved, but this was the first piece to a much much larger puzzle in figuring out how we bring back our son. Yeah, there's there's just I I find I mean Kylo's character in general is just extremely compelling, but but what they've done with the music and, and the story that they have been telling with it has has really stuck out because you you've mentioned multiple times you know his his music sounds broken whereas the imperial march is very much resolved you know it's very powerful it knows who it is and i don't get the same feeling with kylo's you you know even the attack on jakku that we were talking about earlier like he walks down the ramp and and you get his theme for the first time and it's almost like one of those dun 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 like classic you know right the villain is here to twirl his mustache because he is putting up this facade and then as we go through you know to the last jedi slowly you know that that music is is becoming more angsty um not so in your face um, it's a lot more subtle, which I think is is one of the reasons that they chose to to do the soundtrack only version of TLJ, so you could kind of get that. And I definitely need to go watch it to see if that's true. But I mean, there's just there's so much to his character, um, and and it's interesting how 
the music is kind of giving clues, you know, even more so to that eventual redemption arc, but that maybe that redemption is not going to be what we think it's going to be. It may not be the same as Darth Vader. Absolutely. And, and to, to kind of add to that, um, when we just talked about Han, obviously, and and kind of their exchange and and musically how that's rep- represented, but when Kylo contemplates or he has the opportunity, let's say that he has the opportunity to take out his mother, and we just see that kind of silent, you know, exchange that they're both well aware of where each other are and they're staring each other down. Um, do you guys recall just out of memory who whose music is playing there? I don't know. Mm. Leia's theme? It is Leia's theme. It's Leia's theme. And um, I always took that as... And, and I, I should mention, right before that, when he's first coming out in, in, his, um, in his TIE Fighter, you know, we do hear you know, his masked, you know, kind of terror theme a little bit. But as soon as there's that connection between him and Leia and he has that opportunity, things go, it it drops way down and you're just sucked in and it's Leia's theme that plays. And it's almost as if John is conveying that she's trying to get through to him that, you know, this is another opportunity to reach out to Kylo to, you know, obviously this this exchange is not going to turn him to the light side, but to try to see if he can do it again. And he cannot yeah. he cannot yeah. do it again. And you don't hear his theme come play right after it when she gets blown out of the ship. Um, you know, we hear a lot of just more kind of chaotic um music that's just really, you know, uh, intense and and but it's not it's not Kylo's. You know, some of the biggest moments in these films in regards to Kylo, he doesn't have a theme that that contextualizes it. And it's mm. be, it's because it's it's not there. He's, you know, yeah, Kylo. He's not re- the one in control at that moment. He's, he's not. The shot was taken out of his hands. He lost sight of the mission when he realized who was on board the ship. And so suddenly that consumes his thoughts. And that's reflected in in what we hear, like he said, with the, the theme that they picked to play there. So, yeah, he's he's totally not in control at the moment. Well, it's it's interesting too because um, let's look at the end of the Last Jedi, and we have a track. Um, you know, the, this track here, "Peace and Purpose." Yeah, peace and peace and purpose. Um, that's at a certain point. This is when um, they are invading. Uh, the First Order is invading. You know, the the base on Crate. And we hear this bombastic version of his mask theme, almost a Vaderish version. We do hear some of that snare and some of that, like he's almost trying to take control, like Vader would, and 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 be in command and be authoritarian and be brooding. And you're almost convinced that dude, this guy is off it. Like we know he's off his rocker, and you know that he already killed Snoke. What's going to happen? And what does John Williams do? He actually uses the conflict theme at the very end. The last thing that we see of Kylo Ren when he's picking up that dice, it's the conflict theme that plays. And it's illustrating his torment. 
it's kill it's illustrating his failure, his sense of inner conflict. And that's what you're left with at the end of this is as much as he wanted to be and as much as killing Snoke, you know, he killed his master. He is he thought he was in control. We even hear an interpretation of his theme that, uh, you know, at a, earlier in the in the film, it sounded like he had his his uh, tail between his legs, and now he has this opportunity. And all of a sudden, he sees his di- his his father's dice right there, and it disappears, and he's alone. He sees Ray in the in the the in you know the the Force FaceTime, and she closes it off. He is alone. His mother leaves. He is alone. His father is already dead. He is alone, and he lost to Luke Skywalker, and he is alone. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's a really good analysis. I appreciate that. That's a really awesome way you put it all together. And 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 that plays in sometimes in I think that's where it's really fun to watch the score only version because you can if anything you can pick that out a little bit more without all the other kind of sound effects going on. But actually, in that moment right there, you know, there's not a there's not a lot of battle. Yeah, you know, much else happening. Sounds going on exactly, but it's it's really fascinating to see it to see and to hear uh, the deterioration of Kylo's music because Kylo Ren, I think what is being projected here by John Williams is that he knows, regardless of if he knew at the beginning of Force Awakens exactly where Kylo Ren was going to go, the writing was on the wall that this guy was just, you know, he was the Vader wannabe. He wanted to be like his grandfather, but he <laughs> has no clue what his grandfather actually represented. And I'm and, and it's my hope that through through the rise of Skywalker that we hear a version of Kylo's theme that that sounds like Kylo Ren or Ben Solo has an understanding of what Anakin Skywalker's sacrifice actually meant and what Luke Skywalker's sacrifice actually meant. Um, and I believe we'll hear that to some degree. It might not be super blatant, but you might listen to it and say, hey, you know what? I think we're going to hear something that will be a new theme for Ben Solo. We've never heard Ben Solo's theme. Right. But we'll hear kernels of different things that make up Ben Solo and what all the different people in his life that brought him back and how they tie in together. Will we hear a Raylo theme? I don't think so. I don't, I, I think it could happen and it could work. Um, I'm just, from what I hear musically, I just am not sold on that, but I, I am sold on the fact that there is a trajectory here for bringing Kylo back, whether he lives or he dies or he saves Ray or Ray saves him. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that, you know, given what John Williams is doing here and what he's done, I think incredibly well, these scenes are not easy to score. And I should I should have prefaced with that. Film scoring is not easy. It is incredibly hard. <laughs> but he makes it he makes it so fluid and so perfect and so um, unlike any other film. There's a fluidity to the way that John Williams writes, even if it's not a theme, even just in terms of, um, you know, the 
the orchestration that he chooses, the 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 types of instrumentation, the mood that he can set, we're put right into it. Um, yeah. And I think that that's one thing about the Last Jedi and the the Force Awakens, actually more so than I would even say a lot of the other film. Maybe I don't know. I, I'm a lot of the non-hit, like kind of like best of tracks on. Um, you know, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, the ones that are not, you know, necessarily on the soundtrack, if you were to listen to them out of context, I'd have a heart sometimes have a harder time placing them. Whereas on The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, I can hear any bit of music and it almost always takes me exactly to that scene more so than any other uh, of the scores. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, hmm. I could see that. Like, because I know I'll play the soundtracks at school and I catch some of the moments of like the prequel soundtracks. And there are some like the, the chase uh, in attack of the clones, the chase through Coruscant where you have the very yeah. distinct like guitar where of course you're going to connect yeah, those the things. one guitar. Yeah. The one guitar. <laughs> um, but then there's, <laughs> then there's other, other parts where it's like, you know, variations of across the stars connected with, with other things and you can't quite place it. You just get the feeling of it. But when you get certain tracks, you know, like race theme, you're immediately taken to, you know, that, that first scene where she's sliding down the giant hill of sand um, or, you know, or things you mentioned, like, like Snoke's theme, um, even the the Luke and Leia rendition when they're meeting together, like you can immediately place those things. Um, and, and it's interesting because I think that, you know, this, this trilogy is really about legacy, you know, um, and, and how is that legacy handled both by the, the beholders uh, and those who are, are hearing the stories, you know, that's the, the struggle for Ray is she comes from nowhere. So how does she take up this legacy of the Jedi? This, the struggle for, for Ben is, you know, he comes from everything and how, how do you work with that weight on your shoulders, you know, and, and it, it breaks you. And so to see the music kind of evolving for those characters in the same way is really interesting. And it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how they intertwine once we get to, to Rise of Skywalker and Brooke will definitely have to have you on and kind of analyze what we get with uh, with episode nine and the story that John Williams is telling in his last star Wars film. And, and I mean, the man is is up there in age. This very potentially could be the last film that he does, you know. Uh, and it'll definitely be something to to be cherished. No, oh, absolutely. He's he. It's astonishing the perseverance that that he has to to really uh, give us as fans what we want out of these films. And uh, he's written a lot of music and and. Uh, not only for for the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi, but you know he's going to give us a lot of music too for um, the Rise of Skywalker. And it's my hope that hopefully one day, sooner than later, that um, we'll get expanded um, versions or expanded releases of these these particular soundtracks, where we hear a lot of the music that is not on the soundtrack because there's some really great stuff in there that we don't. Um, 
we don't really get to, unless we're watching the film or look for it in the film, um, digest as much. And there's, uh, because of that, I think, you know, there's so much to celebrate about John Williams, um, and his form of storytelling. One last thing before we go, I wanted to touch on is these films are obviously made, um, differently than the prequels and which were obviously made differently than the original trilogy. And JJ Abrams, his filmmaking style, um, you know, I think we could probably agree it's cut really tightly. Uh, there's a lot of action, you know, a lot of quick cuts. And John Williams' score to The Force Awakens, I think more so than any other score he's ever written, his, it, it has been very intentional in that way. It's been very, um, you know, to the music, whereas I think stuff in, in the prequels and with whatever he was doing with George – um, it was a little bit looser, a little more breathing room. Um, mm. but I like that. And I think, yeah. I think that's really cool because I relate it to Kylo. He's so uptight. Uh, he's in seek of control and he's ultimately not in control of how, the, how the force is working around him or through him. And I think a lot of the music represents that just on a macro level, at least until we hear, um, torn apart, um, to which I would, you know, probably beg the question, you know, is, is, to me, um, that's what I believe, but maybe you guys would disagree. Is that where, um, you know, the force awakens within Kylo, um, truly is when he kills his father. Hmm. Is that you're asking, is that the moment where the, it awakens inside of him? Yeah, that's I mean, because that to kind me, of ignites the reignites the struggle. Exactly. That's because to me, that's, uh, I know there's, he's obviously had struggle before then, but what we see on screen, that is the point where I was asking myself the other day, you know, we've see where the force awakens in, in Ray and what her call is, but what, what is Kylo's awakening? Where does that start? Um, mm. and to me, I feel like that is the starting point if we buy into the fact that that Han Solo goes there uh, to save his son, to sacrifice himself. I would probably push that moment into the last Jedi more to where Snoke has him take the mask off. Mm, I think the breaking, I think the breaking of that relationship is more, more defining, honestly, because I think maybe when he kills his father on the bridge, it opens questions up. And he he loses some certainty, but I don't think it shakes the foundations of what he's been operating under until he realizes that his master no longer considers him worthy of of any kind of apprenticeship. Great point. Yeah, because I mean, Drew, you, you I don't said, think there's anything earlier than the bridge, though. But is there anything earlier than the bridge that stands out? I don't think no. I think the bridge is kind of like the like you said the point where he starts asking questions and and maybe you know starts to wonder whether because he doesn't he doesn't get what he wants out of that interaction. You know he he wants to fully give himself to the dark side and to be so all consumed by it that he doesn't feel the pain anymore, right? And he doesn't get that. He he get. You know, he he has to beat his wound to to kind of pour into his anger 
in order to fight Ray, who, as Snoke points out, is a girl who's never even held a lightsaber before, right? So then when you go to The Last Jedi and he shatters that mask, I think that's that's Ben Solo really reemerging. And so it'll be interesting in Rise of Skywalker, you know, he's going to pull that facade of Kylo Ren back onto himself um, as the supreme leader and... and the the idea of like the supreme leader wearing this cracked and and broken mask um yeah. is really interesting you know because i i don't know just the whole thing the whole dynamic of kylo is so complex because we just the, there's there's so little backstory that we have you know it it seems like there was just this you know, one or two events that caused him to turn, but there, there's so much going on inside of him um, to discover. And I think once we get the resolution of that in episode nine and, and musically, once that story is, is kind of completed and, and maybe we do, as Brooke mentioned, get a Ben Solo theme, then we'll understand that a little bit better. That's going to be so great. That's going to be so wonderful to to look back on all this and say, Wow, there are certain parts here that were, you know, they were so intentional, and other things that I, I wouldn't be surprised that if we're, you know, fifty percent wrong or thirty percent wrong, or I hope not a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that would, uh, that would make us not very good at our jobs. Um, but oh, we'll have- no, totally be prepared for a zero percent accuracy rating. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, get ready for it. All the theories are going to be absolutely wrong. So, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Episode 9 is about uh, 120 some odd days away or something like that. Not even that many. It's like three months, isn't it? Yeah, crazy. It's like, so are we under, I don't think we're under 100 yet. Do, I don't even know if we have an exact date yet. It's December uh, December 20th. 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 Yeah, yeah. slash 19th. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. How many days? <laughs> Let me start count. One, two, three, you know, four, five. It's not like we don't have the entire hu- collective human intelligence at our fingertips. It's 105 days, by the way. Okay. So oh, okay. So that's And we're recording on Friday, so it'll be about 102 <clears throat> uh, on the release of this episode. So it is coming up quick, and we're going to get new John Williams music. We're going to get uh, new new stories being told with those sounds, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. So, Brooke, we wanted to thank you for coming on and, and providing your insight and um, just sharing with us kind of your thoughts on, on where the sequel trilogy is headed. Absolutely. It was great talking with you guys. Uh, you guys obviously, um, you know, are some of the best around to, to chat about this stuff with. And uh, anytime we can, you know, come together and, and kind of digest the, the, the musical side of the force, um, I'm, I'm always into it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for that. And, and let everybody know uh, if they want to hear some of your work or, or learn more about you or get in touch with you where they can do that at. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my website is a great place to check out. Um, that's going to be brookmonroe.com, B-R-O-O-K-M-U-N-R-O.com. Uh, you can also reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, or um I have a Twitter. Um, I use it mainly to try to win um, uh, prizes, ways <laughs> <laughs> and things like uh, like and retweet this to get five free books from a something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I you know nothing I, wrong with that. 
about a year ago, I tried to dive into the world of Twitter, um, and I became a very unhappy person for about two months. <laughs> um, and I, I literally, you know, I, I said, I have to quit you. I can't, I can't do this. And I took you off. I took, I took Twitter, uh, off my phone and I could, I just couldn't, um, you know, try and it was, it was all Star Wars related, but just gosh, fandom is nasty sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> I, I prefer to just, you know, celebrate, uh, with the people that, that love it and, um, that want to just kind of move forward with where we're going with all of this. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be good, good operating theory. And, and if you want to do that, of course, you can come hang out with us in our Facebook group, Clashing Saber Star Wars community. Um, we don't have any trolls or anything in there, so that's a, always a fun place to share uh, what you're working on. Or, you know, I'm sure Brooke will share the the fan film once that comes out. Um, all those Absolutely. great things, uh, will you can find them there. Um, you can also email us, clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on the music of the sequel trilogy. Or uh, shoot us a text at 832-966-0077. And we will read it on the show. Uh, Drew, tell them, uh, tell them what you're up to. Sure. I, I do in entertain some time on the Twitters at the Drew Brett. You can find me there. I'm working on a new project of defending and supporting our brothers, the Rathtars. Oh my God. I'm looking (laughs) for all the support that I can get. So if you dear listener have a a story that means something to you about the Rathtars, let me know because it's real hard to find some evidence why they're great, but I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to, we're going to prove it. We rehabilitated Mace Windu's image we can do it for Wrath Tires. It's going to be great. Mark, please. I believe in you. Please. No, don't encourage <laughs> that him. Was the most, that was the least <laughs> encouraging sentiment I've ever heard in my life. But I appreciate it because Brandon has just basically threatened me every time I mentioned it. Oh. It's great. It's going to be great. I, don't I have wait. no doubt. I have no doubt. <laughs> Mark, please, please change the subject. Uh, okay, well, uh, we'll go from Rathtars to Monsters. Uh, I just released a new episode of Forever Star Wars that counts down my favorite monsters. Uh, so you can check that out right here on this network. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at DJM Marquee. And also I have Instagram, and that's MMarquee1205. Yeah, so definitely make sure you are subscribed to the network because we have all of the amazing shows uh, that come out normally. Plus, we've had some really great interviews lately, including Claudia Gray, the amazing Vanessa Marshall. um, And and we're going to have some big ones, including Jason Fry, Kevin Scott and Delilah S. Dawson coming up in the next uh, three weeks here. So. Uh, We thank you always for being a part of our Clashing Sabers family and for all the love and support that uh, each and every one of you give this Star Wars fandom. So until we see you again, Batch 8. That's not how the Force works. (laughs) (sighs) Couldn't it just just let it go out normally? (laughs) 
The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just used it for informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here. <laughs>